Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So last week we covered the part of the creed that spoke of Jesus' death, his burial, and his descent to the dead. And we talked about him descending into Hades, him descending to the realm of the dead. We talked about him descending into hell. We, we looked through each of those for a little bit to see what they actually mean. And we talked about that there's a difference between hell and Hades. So it's actually not right for us to say he descended into hell because at this point hell doesn't exist. Hell is reserved at the end of time as a punishment for uh, the devil and the wicked angels and those who have turned aside from the way of life uh, to death. So what we talked about has Jesus, uh, he descends to the dead where the righteous and the unrighteous were kept and how he preaches the gospel down there and all the Old Testament saints who died in anticipation of his coming, he liberates them and brings them out from the grave. And because of this, now all of those who die from then on are with him and are united with him at our own point of death. So today, we're talking about the resurrection and the ascension. The resurrection and the ascension as we continue our way through the Apostles' Creed. Matthew 12, 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And in Luke 24, 1 through 9, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces at the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So now we come to the most remarkable part of the Apostles' Creed. Believe it or not, the resurrection of Jesus has tended to be seen as something that actually didn't happen. There was this movement to sort of demythologize the scriptures about a long time ago. We'll really get into that too much today. But there's this belief that he did not truly bodily arise from death. But on that Easter morning, the disciples had a new dawning sense of his ongoing presence in a way that they had not experienced before. Essentially, that they had an experience of Jesus, not that they saw him bodily raised. So I think in this point of view, it's meaningless to say that Jesus lives because Jesus living would then be subject to the individual person to experience for themselves, apart how from Jesus is actually experienced, how he is apprehended and trusted on by faith and our union with him in the waters of baptism and in the Eucharist, which we're going to share this morning. And so the resurrection of Jesus, belief in the confession that he truly did rise from death is very important in Christianity. Does it make a difference if we believe Christ rose from the tomb or not? Is it enough to say, well, he just dawned in our hearts in a new way, or it's just a new experience of him? I don't think that we can be considered in any meaningful sense of the word if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And that sounds a little harsh, and I know that, and please forgive me. And in our, in our day and age, sometimes I think it's more countercultural to actually say, we actually believe this. And to believe and to practice and live by something else other than what we profess is wrong. 
But, but, but we, won't, we won't stay there. So anyway, belief in the resurrection matters to be a Christian. St. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those there also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. They're gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, listen to this, we are of all people most to be pitied. So for St. Paul here, there is no faith with no resurrection. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then everything we believe, everything that we profess as Christians, everything that we shape our lives according to, there is no point for me standing up here. There is no point for us eating this bread, drinking this wine. There is no point for you to be sitting there singing hymns and listen to me preach at you Sunday after Sunday. There is no point to any of this. We may as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die because everything is in vain if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Now, don't go run out of the church today and say, Michael said Christ is raised from the dead, so now I'm going to go get drunk or something. No. Christ has been raised from the dead, though. St. Paul continues. So he lists here, no resurrection of the dead. The pre- your preaching and faith are in vain. Because there's no power then in preaching. Part of the power of preaching isn't just the skill, or lack of skill, of the person speaking to you. Part of what's going on when we preach the word of God, when we preach from the scriptures, we are feasting on that in a sense. That the, 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 the book of James is, um, well, it says just shall live by faith, but then it also talks about doing the word and not just being a hearer, right? We hear the word of God, it moves us into action. There is power. When I stand up here and I talk about Christ is risen, about Christ being raised from death and the ruler and Lord of all, You may not sense it, but there is a power there, a transformative power of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God is preached and finds root in each and every one of your hearts. Some of your hearts are good ground, and the Word of God is going to go down deep, and it's going to sprout roots, and it's going to grow. Some of your hearts are thorny ground, and it's going to go down a little bit, but eventually the weeds are going to come up and choke it. And sometimes... At different stages of our lives, I think we're different. We're at different levels of ground. Sometimes I've been in thorny ground. Sometimes I've been rocky ground. Sometimes I've been good ground. But there is power in the preached word of God because Christ is risen. Also, he says, if there's no resurrection, then we're misrepresenting God. Now, this is a big one, especially for Paul. So if it's a lie, right? If we're not supposed to bear false witness against our neighbors, and that's in the Old Testament law, how much more important do you would think it would be to not falsely misrepresent God, right? It's an even bigger sin to say God did this when God actually didn't do it than to misrepresent your neighbor in something. How much more of a sin would it be? He's saying we are misrepresenting God. We have got this whole thing all wrong, and we are wrong about God. He says your faith is futile because you are still dead then in our sins. And if we are dead in our sins, then 
those who have died in hope of the resurrection have perished. And if you look a little bit forward in Christian history, that means those who stood their ground for the sake of Jesus Christ, those who were martyred and destroyed and persecuted for their faith, who stood in solidarity with how Jesus taught them how to love and live, all of those who have been killed for that is meaningless if there's no resurrection. It's meaningless. They're gone for good, and that's the end of the story for them. We hear that repeated nowadays. When you're dead, you're dead. That's it. That's the belief of people who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. So what's the meaning of the re- resurrection? A theologian named Bird, he put, out, he put out a fear. The first one is the resurrection tells us who Jesus really is. So Jesus says to his disciples several times, right, in the different gospels, who do you say that I am? And his disciples say, they don't answer the question. He says, who do you say I am? And they say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. And then some of them say, well, no, no, excuse me, you're not John the Baptist. Some people say, you're the prophet Elijah. Some people say that you're an Old Testament prophet. Come back. And Jesus is like, guys, that is great what other people are saying. Who do you say that I am? Which leads to Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And then we also have St. Thomas's confession. He says, when Jesus appears, my Lord and my God. The resurrection, number two, means that God's new age has begun. <clears throat> A few years ago, Christians were up in arms about new age. Has anybody ever heard of like new age spirituality? Anybody? Like the new age? Wow, okay, good. <laughs> uh, so back, back in the day, in certain Christian circles, there was this huge concern about the New Age movement, how it was coming up and it was going to destroy our kids. And there was a Christian author named uh, Peretti, and he wrote these books about angels fighting demons with flaming swords. Has anybody ever read the Frank Peretti angel, angel books? Nobody. <laughs> All right. Moving on. But the New Age, New Age mysticism was just this general sort of just taking from different... Eastern religions and just kind of mashing it together, like going to places in Sedona to feel like vortexes of energy, just this vague quasi-spirituality, the age of Aquarius, all that kind of stuff. That was considered the new age. But Jesus' resurrection shows us that the new age didn't begin a few decades ago. It began 2,000 years ago. The new age that is coming has begun already when he rose from death because his kingdom is at hand. That means there's a new way of living and a new way of doing things. And one day his kingdom will arrive in full. Number, excuse me, number three, the resurrection is the vehicle of salvation. Romans 4.25 says, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the resurrection is the vehicle through which we have been saved. God has life in himself and communicates that life to believers through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which results first in new birth and then later the resurrection of the body. That's a theologian as well named named Bird. Then number five, the resurrection tells us that death has been destroyed. I don't know if you remember this, but during Lent and Easter, during the midweek services, we always finished off the service just before the benediction with a very, very old resurrection hymn. It goes like this. 
O Christ, you rose as God in glory from the tomb, raising up the entire world at your side. Mortal nature hymns you as its God, for death has been destroyed. Adam rejoices, and Eve, ransomed from her bonds, cries out to you, O Christ, you have brought resurrection to all mankind. In the resurrection of Jesus, death has been destroyed. And this may sound familiar because we've been talking about Jesus as the victorious one. We've been talking about Christus Victor, about how the atonement model that we see in Scripture, what Jesus accomplished for our salvation, is he is victorious. He has conquered sin and he has conquered death. So then the part of the creed that talks about his ascension into heaven. Now this is tied in with him seated at the right hand of the Father and his return in glory to judge. So we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But about his ascension, what we will say is this. When we see the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we know the story, right? As Jesus is talking, he's lifted up, right? And a cloud takes him out of their sight. And while they're, everyone's looking up and like, where did he go? Jesus says, he's gone, right? So then angels show up and they're like, why are you looking up in the sky? He was taken up from you to heaven. He's going to return the same way you saw him leave. So then what did they do? They go back to Jerusalem and they do what he told them to do to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the ascension is important, a friend of mine named Father Andrew Damick, he wrote this in uh, one of his homilies a couple years ago. He said, without the ascension, we are basically saying that the incarnation, or Christ becoming fully human and fully God, is something just for on earth, that humanity really cannot be raised to the very heights of intimacy with God. Jesus becomes a kind of ambassador, but we're not allowed to enter into his country. So that's why primarily the ascension is important. It's because... Jesus ascends to heaven in his glorified human body. So on the way up, he ascends in glory, right? He's still in the body that has the scars on the hands and on the feet and on the head and on the side. And earlier in the Gospel of John, he's cooking fish and he's eating it with the disciples, right? His glorified body is taken up to heaven at his ascension. So as he's ascending into heaven, he doesn't just like slither out of his body like a snake shedding its skin and kind of just like floats back down to the ground. No, he takes, he doesn't just unzip it and take it off and be like, all right, I'm done with this. Throw it in the garbage. No, he he brings it with him into heaven. And his ascension doesn't mean that his work is over. Now his work of accomplishing our salvation is over. But Jesus' work is not finished. I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about a year or two ago, and he, talk, he kept talking about the finished work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. And I'm like, what are you talking about the finished work of Christ? And I asked him, what do you mean? And I explained to him, I said, Christ's not finished. Just because he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father doesn't mean that he's now kicking up his feet and relaxing and watching SportsCenter, Right? He's still working. He's still active. Sitting down means that he's accomplished what he came to do on earth, but he's still interceding for us to the Father. He is still working for us. This is important because St. Paul says repeatedly in all of his writings about how we are in him, how we are in Christ. So if we are buried with him in baptism, if we are raised again, into new life, right? And then if he ascends, if we're united with him with his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, then that means we're also united with him in his ascension, which means, brothers and sisters, that when it's time, when we die, 
Even though he has conquered sin and death, we still ourselves have to undergo death. But that's not the end for us because we are in him. We are in him. That means we share not only in his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we share with him in his ascension. Now, one of the books that I've been using to study for the series that we've been going through was there's a, a picture of an icon of the resurrection. And when I saw it in this book, it's by a guy named Ben Myers, it's very good. I said, this is going to be a good way to not only for us to hear, but to see what we've been hearing about, in this past, especially in these past two weeks. So I reached out to a friend of mine, and he graciously lent me what's called an icon of the resurrection. So everybody, you, did you get it when you came in the lobby? Yeah? All right, good. I want you to reach down. It looks like a picture. It's not, it's not very big. So reach in, pull it out. How many of you don't have one? Oh, I've got one for you, Linda. So I thought, this is a good way. Sometimes, how many of you are more visual learners? How many of you don't know if you're a visual learner <laughs> or not, right? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring out a big one because I can all right, so, everybody got a copy? Yeah? Who needs one? Ray, would you mind bringing out how many? Three? One, two, three? Yeah, just three. Oh, okay, hold on. Yeah, for, uh, yeah. All right, are we good? Perfect, okay. How many of you are not going to respond to anything I say today? Raise your hand. That's a test. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So you all have a copy of this. And this is a big of a bigger one. But you all have a copy of this. This is an icon of the resurrection, okay? So in the icon of the resurrection, icons are really beautiful because they're not only meant to show us something that happened, but they're also meant to teach us. There's theology that they're demonstrating, okay? So when we look at this icon of Christ, we see this thing around him. It's kind of like an almond shape. You see that? Look down on your pictures. You can see that on your pictures, unless it's too small, or you need glasses, then just hold it up like that. So when you see pictures of Jesus at the Transfiguration in this style of, of Christian art, he usually he'll have one of these around him. That's to demonstrate you know, his divinity and his humanity, that something amazing is going on. So, look here. What's he standing on in this picture? He's standing on the cross. He's standing on the cross. Now, look, there's a weird old man <laughs> underneath the cross. Who do you think that old man is under the cross? Yeah. It's the devil. It could be the devil or it could also symbolize death itself. And because the devil holds the power, well, he used to hold the power of death. It could symbolize death and the devil. And notice what's happening with his hands and his feet. They're chained. Why? Because Christ has conquered him. Christ has conquered him. Now look at what he's doing. He's got these two, there's these two people right here, and he's grabbing and he's holding their hands, right? Looks like it's nice. He's comforting them. No, he's not. What do you think he's doing here? Oops, with these two people. Yeah, he's, he's pulling them up. Do you see that? And you can see this is kind of an action shot here because on the side you can see like his, his cape is like blowing in the wind here. So it's almost like a, a splash page for a comic book, right? He's pulling this man and this woman out of the grave. Now, who do you think this man and this woman, th this woman are? 
It's a very good guess, but think back really, really far back. Yeah, Adam and Eve, this man here and this woman here, they are representative of our human ancestors, the people who, through their sin, well, through their disobedience, brought about death into the world and sin. And so Jesus, standing on the cross over the devil and death, we see that you know, he's, this is a reflection of his power and his glory. He's reaching down. He's grabbing them by the hand, and he's pulling them up out of the tombs. The reason why I brought this, and I wanted you all to see this, is because I think it teaches beautifully what we've been talking about these past few weeks, particularly about the crucifixion, about his death, about his resurrection, and about his ascension. He's not passive here, right, in this picture. He's not just standing here modeling, like, thinking about. No, he's in motion. He is doing something here. And when when I think of the resurrection, when I think of the ascension, I think of this icon. It speaks to me because it shows us, it shows us something beautiful about Christ, how he becomes one of us, and how he takes our hands as one of us, how he becomes human for our sake, how he undergoes death just as we will undergo death ourselves. My grandmother passed away about a week ago on my mom's side, and when I was looking at that icon, I was thinking about this this picture of Christ grabbing her. And the, the, the funerals of the people that I've done, I have this picture in my mind of Christ grabbing them. And that, brothers and sisters, is the hope that we have is that we will not be left to death. If we are in him, he has us by the hand and he's pulling us out of the grave. He is reaching down and pulling us. And ultimately, at the end of the day, yes, the word at the top says hanastasis, uh, which means the resurrection. It means the resurrection. It's just a name. So when we, read the De- when we heard the Deuteronomy reading, take care, watch yourself, don't forget what you saw, don't let them slip from your mind. Moses is reminding the children of Israel, all of these things that you've seen, all of these things that you've heard, all of these that you've experienced, all of the things God has done for you, remember them, keep them in your mind, don't let them slip from your mind. And in the gospel, Jesus talks about the things that defile us come from within us, not from outside of us. And so when we remember these beautiful truths about who Jesus is, what Jesus has come to do, the creed helps us do what Moses told the people in Deuteronomy. It helps us to remember who Jesus is. It helps us to remember what Jesus has done for us. It helps us to remember what he's coming to do. And it helps us to remember when we get to it, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, what it means to be the church, what it means to be the communion of the saints, what it means to be forgiven, and what it means about eternal life. The creed helps us to not let them slip from our minds. The creed helps us to watch ourselves. It helps us to not forget what we've seen, what we've heard, and what God has done, not just for the world, but what God has done for you. Think back to a moment in your life where if you did not have Christ, you would not have made it through. I come across people, and there may be some people here who said, if I didn't know Jesus, I would be dead by now. <laughs> I heard somebody told me once, if I didn't have Jesus, I would be in prison. You know, my life would have gone horribly wrong. 
And our lives can still go wrong. But when things do go wrong in our lives, think of that picture that you have that I've given you. Think of Christ. When things go terribly wrong, think of him reaching down like that and holding your hand. Not from up above, but from down where you are. Because that's what he did. He came down to where we were. So he could reach up, reach down, and to bring us up with him. And so to our resurrected and ascended Lord, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you. Hope to have you visit us in the near future.